You're listening to the Charity Champions Podcast. Each year, TFNB Your Bank for Life chooses six nonprofits from around Central Texas to recognize as Charity Champions. Tonight's Charity Champion is... Champions enjoy live on-field presentations at Baylor University home football and basketball games, online broadcast and print marketing exposure, and world-class leadership development through 360 Solutions, all at no cost to the nonprofit. In this podcast, we want to get to know our Charity Champions a little better. We're bringing those who help and those who have been helped into the studio to hear the stories behind the champions. On this episode, the Dr. Pepper Museum and Free Enterprise Institute. More than just a museum, President and CEO Chris Dyer explains how they're inspiring the next generation of entrepreneurs. Teaching people that if they have a unique idea, that that's what they should follow. There's not a traditional path in life always. And now, let's meet our champion. How did you become the CEO and president of the Dr. Pepper Museum? Man, I have no idea. It's, (laughs) I went through the Baylor Museum Studies Department. My master's is in museum studies and I've had various, you know, jobs throughout Texas in different museums. And it it was just a natural kind of career path. And with Waco and the opportunity here, you know, it's a booming community. Uh, It was just very attractive. You know, sometimes you think you're never going to come back home. And you do one day. So it was just a really good fit for my career at this point. So how far away did you go doing other jobs? Oh, I've been in Laredo. I've been in Austin. You know, Austin feels very far away right now, but (laughs) immediately from Bryan College Station. So just kind of all around the state. I've been in Georgetown, uh, a lot of great communities. And so what initially drew you to want to be at the Dr. Pepper Museum? The scope. It's a really unique place. And the fact that we have the the museum and the Free Enterprise Institute, it, it allows me to really focus on the, the entrepreneurship and the, and the family business type side of things. And, and that was really exciting to me because we're more than just a museum. There's just a lot. I like to do a lot of different things and this kind of checks all those boxes. That's perfect. And so for people who know, I mean, it's pretty obvious you are the Dr. Pepper Museum, but uh, there's a lot more to it. So if you could kind of explain for people exactly the scope of your organization there? There's a lot. I mean, you know, people know us, as you said, as we're the Dr. Pepper Museum downtown, just have experienced an amazing tourism boom, but we don't just wait for people to come to us. We do a lot of programming. Like I said, with the the free enterprise pieces, we really focus on entrepreneurship and teaching people that if they have a unique idea, that that's what they should follow. There's not a traditional path in life always. And there's just a lot of opportunity with creativity and, you know, also you can try things and fail mm-hmm. and that's just part of the process. And that's what entrepreneurs and, and what I really enjoy about business. And, uh, you know, on the museum side, we have this amazing collection and really one of the largest, if not the largest soft drink collection, you know, memorabilia and historical items in, in the world. And not to mention two very historic buildings downtown. Including one that was damaged by the tornado back in the day, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Driving by, you can see it. We caught, see, some call it a smile. I call it the scar. <laughs> but, you know, in 53, the tornado 
basically ripped the top off of the building. You know, it got repaired really quickly because that's what Waco does. It's resilient and it gets back to business. You know, that happened in a short amount of time. And so that, that's just something we're really proud of because it's just a true mark of history. You know, it's part of our story of resilience and success. And I'm sure a lot of people maybe think that, oh, you know, they get all their funding from Dr. Pepper or whoever owns Dr. Pepper. So how does that relationship work? I have to say that Dr. Pepper has been very generous to us over the years and they're very supportive, but, you know, a big component of that is that we get to utilize the Mm -hmm. name, you know, that's pretty significant. There's definitely, they're very supportive in that aspect, but we are a nonprofit organization. So, so we raise funds through private donations, memberships, grants, and things like that. And then also through our admissions and then our know, things like our soda fountain sales and our gift shop and all that. So we're just like any other nonprofit. We need a wide variety of support to do what we do every day. Back in the the 80s, when we got started, Dr. Pepper donated the building and all of that great stuff. And they've done a lot. It's kind of a blessing and a curse, right? Because people look at us and say, oh, well, Dr. Pepper takes care of everything. And, And a lot of times we get compared to the world of Coke in Atlanta which is a great space, but it's a corporate funded museum and very well funded, by the way. That's great. That works for their model. But, you know, we we just we've always been a community organization and had a variety of support. And, and, you know, we don't expect Dr. Pepper to fund all of that, but they've been very generous with what they do. I mean, we we have the name and that's very important. So you touched on the history a little bit. What is the history of Dr. Pepper in Waco. I'm sure you've told this story a million times. Dr. Pepper was kind of one of those original entrepreneurship stories in downtown Waco. In the Old Corner Drugstore, if you're familiar where the uh, Tornado Monument is downtown, that's where it all all began. And Old Corner Drugstore is gone now, but that's where Dr. Alderton created this fantastic drink in 1885 through experimentation and trying out different flavors. You know, and it's really about the, the consumer. That's what was all about. He was trying to make a product that people would really enjoy. So uh, from there, it just exploded. Moving on through as as the drink caught on popularity, it was called Shoot Me a Waco at one time. You know, it became Dr. Pepper. I don't know. We Nobody really knows how it really got the name. <laughs> Things ramped up and jumped in 1906. That's our museum and bottling building. What you see now, that's where production really took off in, in this building. So we're we're really proud of that. And then it you know, went on to be a, you know, national than international phenomenon and because people just love it. And it, you know, it was all created right here in downtown Waco, which is pretty amazing. It's like Big Red that was established here in Waco in 1937 as well. Just that's pretty amazing that those two soft drinks were, were invented right here. I didn't know it was invented here too. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, those are two of my favorites. (laughs) And, you know, when you grow up in Waco, you, they have to be your favorite, you know, but, uh, (laughs) But I can truly say that th- those are some of my first memories as a kid growing up with soft drinks. And we didn't get to have a lot of them. You know, mom and dad were pretty, <laughs> pretty strict on that. Yeah, it's people don't realize that. And, you know, Dublin plays a big role in Dr. Pepper as well. They were the first to actually buy that franchise and and, and start distributing it. But that that's kind of the confusion sometimes that the Dublin, you know, is invented in Dublin. And actually, they have a big part of the history, but it was right here in downtown Waco. So Waco original. And when it was being bottled here, even a piece of Waco was part of it because they were using the wells on site, right? Yeah. The original well is in our building. You know, they draw it out of the ground here and that's part of the factory. You have to have all your, your assets, right? Well, if you look at what we have around our building now, railroad tracks, you know, so you could 
transport it and ship it out of here. You know, a lot of it was by wagon and horse-drawn wagon and things like that in the early days. But, you know, they'd pull the water right out of the ground. So you had this great artesian well source that they used. And so you can come see the well here. It's it's a little different than it was. The groundwater has changed a little bit, but, you know, we're right by the Brazos. So you could get to the water pretty easily. The 80s was when it started in Waco, the, the museum itself? In 1991, we officially opened on the uh, anniversary of the tornado. So that would have been in May, May 11th, actually. And But the, the nonprofit was formed in 1989. The building was acquired a little earlier, but yeah, right around that time is when we formally incorporated as a museum. And I'm assuming it's seen a lot of changes over the years. Yeah, I mean, it started out as a as the one building you know we're in if you've been to our facility and i know you have but for people that are listening we've more than quadrupled our footprint over the years we we bought the building next door just because we were expanding so rapidly but in the beginning you know it was just only portions of the bottling building were actually open to the public because they were just doing great work to restore that building over time you know you jump from 30,000 visitors to 65,000 visitors to, you know, now 170,000 plus. And we've seen, you know, two and a half million people through our doors since we opened, which is just amazing. And that's, you know, that's a testament to downtown Waco thriving as well. And, and, you know, we anticipate we'll hit 3 million pretty quick at this rate. And so when did the Free Enterprise Institute become a part of it? It's really in, in the early 90s as, as part of a, just a component of our entire mission about how we, how we do our educational programs and, and what, based on the soft drink industry, how does that work? How, how does the American free enterprise system work with inventing and ideas and, and how does it work appropriately and what does it do? Is it, it's focused on the customer and that's a lot of the direction we go with Dr. Pepper. We talk about how that product started and, and our founder, Foots Clements, actually made, he's the ideal free enterprise story. He started in Alabama with a large family, not much money as a kid. He, he came from a pretty, pretty poor background, but he ended up through hard work and salesmanship from route driver to salesman to, uh, you know, CEO of the company. We kind of show that that can happen for anybody. And with a good idea, you can make things happen. And so he he was instrumental in the formation of our organization and didn't ever want any credit, you know, but uh, his story was just a really good one that we could we could talk about. And today we really talk about the different entrepreneur stories and the different ideas and and how people of different backgrounds create these great ideas and and consumers buy them, you know, and so it's a lot of fun. And you guys have different ways to make it practical for people who are coming through, right? Just from a very entry level, we do a lot of youth programming. And so we, of course, we use soft drinks as one of our models. We let kids create their own soft drinks. We let kids create their own marketing associated with it. We let kids figure out what price they want to set for it. And then they, they pitch it, you know, they do a sales pitch. Then we get into the economics and we talk about financial literacy and, and how all that works. And, and so it really gives a complete understanding of it. And we, we also, in our exhibits, we talk about other success stories. We have an exhibit right now about failures because there are all these great products that just didn't make it. 
<laughs> you know, they were great ideas, but they didn't make it. So I think that's instrumental in soft drinks or whatever you're making. As they were trying to develop an iPhone, you know, they didn't just automatically create the iPhone. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of trial and error. So that's what we're all about. Just opportunities come out of failures many times. I got to check out that exhibit with my daughter. And the one thing I remember very vividly from childhood was Crystal Pepsi. That did not go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You know, and, and sometimes if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, it's just, or don't change it, you know, and that's, that's a lot of times, you know, my, my favorite is probably new Coke. Yeah. That was a colossal failure, but you know, you had the thing that I really remember and it was stunning to me is orbits. Oh yeah. I don't know the drink if people don't remember that, but it, it makes a heck of a exhibit piece. And, and a lot of people, you know, remember that like, Oh man, you know, and, and that was one of those failures or, Hubba Bubba soda, you know, bubblegum <laughs> soda didn't, didn't work out so well, but you know, there's a lot of th fun things, but yeah, crystal Pepsi is, is a prime example of that. <laughs> and so that kind of leads me into, you know, it's a museum, you have these interactive exhibits about free enterprise. How else do you keep things interesting and new? So people visiting often are seeing different things. We have a lot of items, probably a small percentage of our items are out because we collect, but the way we keep it fresh is First and foremost, we switch exhibit items out frequently. But secondly, we've really moved more to an experience model. COVID has made that a challenge, but we're, we're doing things where it's safe. But as we, as hopefully things get better and better, we're, we're doing things like we're exploring tasting rooms for different soft drinks that people haven't had. And, and we're doing make a soda where the public can come in and make their own soda and bottle it and learn about it. You know, obviously our soda fountain is is a unique experience because we're we're all about experience. We know that a lot of people that come here haven't ever been to a museum before. We really were about education, but it is about entertainment as well. And we try to teach and learn as you come in here and and so it's about giving somebody something different all the time. As we're reaching out more to the city of Waco and the community in McLennan County, you know, come back if you haven't been in a while because there's going to be something new. And people are shocked when they get in because we have, you know, probably 40,000 plus square feet of exhibit space. A lot of people haven't been in since the bottling building was opened back in the, the 90s. You know, we have two great facilities. One's more of kind of that retro original feel of what the bottling plant would have been like. And we're a little more modern in what we call the East Wing building. There's a lot of new stuff. We call that kind of our experience area. Mm -hmm where you can try things and we have liquid lab and things like that, that people really enjoy. And we have a lot of tourism, but there's certain times for locals that they really need to come down. And that's, you know, midweek is great, but the weekends are fine too. It's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. I like some of the exhibits you had where you had like QR codes. So you could see the commercial that that particular item from your collection was in. That's pretty interesting. We know that if you just see something on the wall, you may not get what it is. So we try to really pull you in and get you going down wormholes. And it's, it's really interesting. We're putting in an exhibit, in fact, right now, that's about an advertising campaign 10 to 4 for Dr. Pepper, which was a big one in the 20s and 30s. Well, you know, if we just put up the artwork, people wouldn't really know what's going on. So we we try to drive you to a QR code to really explore it a little bit. We know that people are going to interact with their phones. They're going to take pictures. We really want to encourage that, but we want them to learn too. And, and, you know, just seeing something on the wall doesn't always relay what we want. So it's been a big success with our QR codes. Mm -hmm. Being a nonprofit, you probably still have a lot of needs that aren't taken care of or that big expenses that it takes to run a museum like you guys have there. So what are some of the things that you could really use some help with? So we have two very 
historic buildings and they need a lot of TLC all the time. And they weren't ever designed for 170,000 people a year to go mm -hmm. through. So we have one that's 1906 and the East Wing building is really, it's one of the earliest commercial buildings downtown that's still standing. So it's 1880s. You know, our facilities are really the prime focus of what we need need help with. And, you know, right now we're really focusing on our elevator. We, when we opened our main elevator, we put in in the 90s. It services all three floors. And think about it, that thing has carried 2.5 million people mm. over the year. And it's, I mean, that's pretty amazing service, but, uh, you know, we need to replace that thing. And they're they're expensive and it and it's an ordeal as you can imagine to to retrofit and repair an elevator in a building like ours but uh, that's really one of our major focuses and then we always have maintenance issues in our building you know we're we just we're fortunate enough to get donations to redo our dock and our historic cupola so check that out that's really an iconic feature of our building but it's it's always something that we're looking at to try to try to take care of is in our two main artifacts, our two buildings, mm -hmm. you know, the historic side of and home of Dr. Pepper. So you've explained a lot of things, but to you, why do you think it's important that Waco really has this museum as a piece of its culture and its identity? It's a Waco original. I would say it's a historic landmark. It's one of the biggest inventions and things that have come out of Waco, Dr. Pepper is kind of synonymous with our community. I think it helps define us. And it's just part of, I would say it's part of our heritage and history. It's iconic for what we do. And, and, and that's just one of those many pieces of Waco history, like the suspension bridge, you know, it, it's just something that warrants preserving and the story needs to be told. And, and, you know, there's, there's a lot deeper stories like with the suspension bridge or Dr. Pepper and countless people that, that we've, Dr. Pepper has impacted over the years from providing jobs to just enjoyment. Mm -hmm. And it's fun. You know, that's the thing we, we, we try to be a fun place mm -hmm. and, and that's very important. There's all sorts of spinoffs, like Baylor has floats that you can get. So they have a Dr. Pepper hour. We do appreciate Baylor. We say that they're, they're milkshakes <laughs> because we do the original float here. But yeah, it's great. It's just like when I was a student at Baylor, that's what you did. You had Dr. Pepper hour, you had Dr. Pepper floats, and it's just something you do. And they're wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> if you haven't had one of those low calorie uh, floats, <laughs> pretty amazing. But we are the original home of the Dr. Pepper float and the original home of Dr. Pepper. And that's pretty exciting. And, you know, Dr. Pepper corporate agrees with that. Anybody can get Dr. Pepper. Anybody can get ice cream. Anybody can put those two together. But we do it a little differently. We hand make our sodas. We have a historic soda fountain that we use. So we make it the way it was once made with the syrup and the carbonated water. And then, of course, we use Bluebell ice cream. And then we have a process that we we will not disclose, but we the, there's a way that we make it that's mm. unique, that uh, it's going to be unlike anything that you've ever had. We really proud ourselves in that. We have trained soda jerks that make it. And you can come in here and also hear the lingo of the soda jerks that you would have heard in the you know, 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s in the soda fountains. So they're they're really excited about it. We really want to, we give you that experience as well. And the Dr. Peppers and Big Reds and root beers that we make are going to be really closer to what you would have originally had in a in the old corner drugstore. And that's what we really strive for because we want you to walk away 
man, I can't get that anywhere else. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's what we really pride ourselves on. And in the near future, you're going to be taking that mobile too, right? Yeah, we have, uh, you know, so much about us. <laughs> uh, we call it our thirst aid station. So it is essentially our float truck. So we are going to be mobile pretty quickly where we will make handcrafted sodas and floats on the road. So we'll be out there, you know, all over town. So we're really looking forward to that because we we feel like we really need to bring it to people. And it's just a great way to get our name out there. That's not something the old soda jerks probably thought of back in the day, huh? Well, you know, in the 50s, they had thirst aid stations. So that's what we modeled it on. But the thing is, doing the original equipment in that trailer, it's a huge undertaking because mm-hmm. we don't just want to, you know, like when you go into McDonald's or whatever, their their sodas are great. But the way they, they make them, it's a little more modernized. We want to make them by hand. We're looking at, man, we got to get a bigger axle for that trailer to hold all of our equipment and the amount of water that it takes to do it because you don't see everybody running around with a soda trailer. There's a reason. You know, it's difficult. <laughs> well, the last thing I want to ask, you're in charge of this huge collection of Dr. Pepper memorabilia and history. Have you seen the original recipe anywhere? I should tell you yes, but <laughs> that, that's a really interesting question. We do know that the the actual written recipe does exist. It's with corporate. There's a couple people that know, obviously, and it's top secret information. But one of the Keurig Dr. Pepper beverage chemists actually serves on our board. So he doesn't know the recipe but he makes all of their new drinks, you know, like Dr. Pepper, cream soda, dark berry. He actually makes those. So he's, he's helping us make those in our soda fountain where we'll be the only ones that offer that. Mm-hmm. But no, unfortunately, we would love to have that in our collection, maybe one day, but it's such a top secret that, uh, you know, they won't even share that with us. You know, I think we probably can guess about 20 of the 23 flavors, but those other three are eluding us. <laughs> you like have it in a locked box and you're like, Trust us, it's in there, but you can't see it. It's top secret. Right. You know, that would be like the best artifact ever, but we probably we couldn't oh, yeah. show it to anybody, you know. So <laughs> so you know, I can understand why they kind of keep that under wraps. And that that's kind of the mystery and fun behind it. You know, do we need to have it? Maybe one day, but you know, <laughs> yeah, I know it's safe in a safe somewhere. Chris, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and thanks for all you guys are doing for the local economy and just the culture of Waco. Oh, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to the Charity Champions podcast. If you're listening on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to rate and review us. This helps our podcast reach more listeners. Have a charity you'd like to nominate for next season? Visit charitychampions.org and look for the nominate button at the top of the page. You can also find more information on this podcast and all charity champions at charitychampions.org. We'll see you next time.